Hi everybody, I'm Dr. Sophia. And I'm Matt Kreiner, and we're coming to you from Durham, North Carolina with our second episode of our podcast, Sex and the Bull City. We're excited to be talking with y'all and having this conversation today. Um, kind of generally the main kind of focus of the conversation is going to be some of these similarities and differences between sex therapy and sex addiction therapy. So it's a pretty interesting, pretty cool topic to get into um, and definitely on brand for us here with this podcast where we're trying to talk about sex and addiction and relationships and all types of wellness that kind of intersect in those spaces. So, and before we get too deep into all those fun kind of details, uh, we wanted to make sure we named that um, we have a website for our practice here at bullcitypsychotherapy.com. You can find us there. Same name on all the big social, social media sites. And we actually put up a website, a, uh, an email address where you can reach out to us with any feedback, any questions you have. We'll be happy to address those um, here in future episodes. So you can email us directly at the email address sexandthebullcity at bullcity.com. Just that easy. Sexandthebullcity at bullcity.com. So there's our new fancy email address. You can all reach out yeah. and get to us that way. But you can find us everywhere. Find us on the website. We got emails, we got phone numbers, and we love interacting with, with whoever's interested. So give us a holler. All right, Sophia. So today we thought it was a good idea here in the second episode to get into to this particular um, area of, of what we do. And, um, and it's a really common kind of question and topic that, that our clients bring up. You know, some folks, they come and, and they know they're struggling with, with sex addiction and they, they need our, our help with that. And some folks come and, um, and maybe they think they're struggling with sex addiction, but they're really not. They're really struggling with more than just sexual um, and, and intimacy issues. And it's, we kind of view it as our job to help them get clarity on, on what's going on with them and, and help them really define what their goals are so we can help them make the progress that, that they want to make. So um, what do you think is a good place to start as we enter this conversation between sex therapy and sex addiction therapy? Yeah, that's a really good question, Matt. Um, for me, I think it's really helpful to, to help everyone understand, and I like to remind myself a lot as well, of sort of just some basic definitions. And if we're looking at a definition of sex addiction, and just looking at one of our leading pioneers in the field, Dr. Patrick Carnes, um, he defines sex addiction as um, any sexually related compulsive behavior which interferes with normal living and causes severe stress on family, friends, loved ones, and one's work environment. So that is a really good way to think about it. Um, that's definitely, that covers a lot of bases, and, um, and what's interesting, I think, also for us is that we work in a field, and people come here every day to get our help. However, the term sex addiction is nowhere to be found in our diagnostic manual of diagnoses, and so filing insurance for clients is very difficult. So what happens a lot of time in our field is that, that there's a lot of question about what is sex addiction? Is it really a thing? Is it really a problem? Or are we being sex negative? And so if we can just sort of start with that basic framework definition, we're going to add to that in just a minute. So just that whole 
sexually compulsive behavior that is really destructive in people's lives is sort of where we'll sort of start. So that's one thing. Um, sex therapy is therapy for improving sexual function and dysfunction. That's just a very basic definition. So that would include things like um, erectile dysfunction, vaginismus, um, low libido, you know, lack of interest in sex, those kinds of things. Um, so this I think is really important. Matt and I were just chatting before we started this of, you know, we have lots of clients come in not really sure if they need sex addiction assistance or sex therapy. And so it's part of our job to help everyone figure that out. And, um, you know, what do you think about that, Matt? Anything come up in your mind when I was just sort of laying down the groundwork? Yeah, as you were describing those definitions, it just, it reminded me just that how grateful I am that we're having this conversation because rightfully so, people can get really passionate about these ideas. You know, whether in their, in their heart it feels really true that, you know, sex addiction just isn't a thing, right? Or, um, you know, that so many things are sex addiction when maybe they're not, you know? Um, these are really intimate topics for folks. Folks get very passionate. And if um, somebody comes at something from the wrong way, like, for instance, I'm sure we'll get more into this, but if somebody comes to, to a healthcare professional and get, they experience being shamed, right? They experience being invalidated. They experience, you know, somebody's own, you know, personal or, or even theological beliefs being pushed upon them. Like, it's a really hurtful experience. Um, so even folks with the best of intentions can kind of get this point wrong. It can cause a lot of damage. It can cause a lot of hurt. So I'm glad here in episode two we're kind of taking this this idea on and, and letting folks know where how we come to this this space. Yeah. So here at Bull City, and I, I think many many therapists are like this. We are very open to different ideas and different ways of, of moving through the world and we're very sex positive. So just because we are all CSATs or budding CSATs, people who are, are close to finishing their certification, um, that does not mean that we believe that everyone is a sex addict who walks in the door. So again, it's really our job to help people define what works and what doesn't work for them and, and what they'd like to change and, and areas that they'd like to, to feel, feel better in. So it's not about um, our diagnosing of, of people. I mean, certainly we're happy to do that if that's necessary. But this is really about distinguishing what kind of, of work someone needs, what they're saying they need, and what they're interested in. So, um, you know, we're very sex positive, and we have everyone here is a sex addiction therapist, but we also have two sex therapists. And then, so it gets a, even more dicey, <laughs> kind of drilling down from here in this conversation. Um, we have a main um, APA approved sex therapy organization called ASET in, here in, in America. It's American Association of Sexuality Educators, Counselors, and Therapists. So they're sort of like um, what everyone is used to in regards to sex therapy, that certification. However, we have another certification institute called the Sex Therapy Training Institute with Dr. Carol Clark down in Miami, Florida. I'm almost finished with that training. And the difference between these two, um, obviously there's many differences, but, but sort of as a rule of thumb, Dr. Carol Clark's program is very sex positive, but also 
very much believes that there is there can be sex addiction and problematic sexual behavior. ASECT has has written a, a paper positioning that they do not acknowledge sex addiction. Obviously, these things are likely going to be changing because um, the World Health Organization in 2018 um, offered a new classification called compulsive sexual health disorder. So all signs are pointing in the direction that sex addiction or compulsive sexual health disorder will be in our next uh, DSM. So, you know, there's a lot of legitimacy for the work of sex addiction and that being an actual diagnosis sort of coming up soon. But again, all of these different areas just make it a little more confusing for the client as they're coming in our office or as they're looking online for what kind of help they need because everybody's kind of got a different opinion. So hopefully here in the next few years, we're going to all be operating a little bit more um, probably towards the middle, I hope, and, and being able to be more alike than, than we are different, which I think can really make it easier for clients, but it's likely, hopefully, going to be true, that you know, just the trend will be that, that we're all going to be kind of moving in the same direction, I'm hopeful. Yeah, yeah, I think, and, you know, in the spirit, you know, here in the second episode, kind of in the spirit of letting our listeners get to know us a little bit, I just kind of wanted to name something about kind of, you know, how I show up in this work, right? So, um, and I hold a lot of space for people who have kind of varying points of view on this stuff, like we said before, because it is such a, an emotional and intimate thing. Um, but I like to think of it as like, I didn't have a dog in the fight as I got exposed to this stuff, right? I didn't have like a really passionate kind of... Um, theologically informed perspective of what sex and sexuality is or should be. Um, my own addiction story has, uh, has to do with alcohol, you know, not to do with anything of a sexual nature. So I came to this work just after having worked with clients and, and walked with them in their pain and in their stories. So I've, I've just done my best to meet them where they are and understand where they're coming from. And, um, you know, even before I started getting my training in sex addiction therapy, I had sought out specialized training in um, other kind of non-normative sexual practices like BDSM and kink and, and polyamory and those types of things. So um, I identify as a sex addiction therapist and a very sex positive clinician as well. Um, I haven't done uh, you know, much of the um, sex therapy training that's on my list. You know, I got a pretty aggressive training, training goal list every year. Um, but that's just kind of the energy I, I bring to the work and what I, how I try to show up in it. And it's, um, the other thing that kind of firms up for me in this space is, like I said, I, I have a lot of respect and hold a lot of grace for anybody who sees the world differently than I do. Um, but And I think of it as somebody who's going to shout real loudly that sex addiction just simply isn't a thing. I view that as kind of a, really almost a privileged position. Like, that's that's like somebody who um, who can make the joke that, oh, of all the addictions, well, sex addiction, like, that sounds pretty fun, right? Or people who can kind of really joke about, like, alcoholism or something. Like, that's a really, that's a nice way to move through the world because you must not have really any memories or any interactions with anybody you love whose life has been devastated by these issues, right? And any, particularly any, any clinician who's going to say, well, sex addiction isn't a thing, we can talk about the DSM, which is never going to be a perfect document. Um, but to me, that, that tells me that they have never sat across with somebody whose life has been devastated because they can't stop viewing porn and masturbating. Because they want so badly to stop being unfaithful to the person they love, and they can't. Like, that's, it's hard to look that person in the face with the belief that 
you are not doing this compulsively. That this addiction of yours is not a thing. Right, right. That it's just not not valid. And you know that that a couple things I was thinking when you were talking, Matt. Um, so there's sex addiction. There's also love addiction. And mm-hmm. sex and love addiction, it can really present differently in so many people. Again, sort of getting back to what we're about here is that everybody's an individual. And so it's really our job to help each person kind of figure out what works, what doesn't work, what they want to change, what they want to keep, what they want to incorporate into their sex life, what they want to do differently. And you know, it's not our place to be judgy one way or another. If someone doesn't believe in sex addiction that walks in here, we're happy to walk that path with them. We don't have any anything to prove. Absolutely. Um, so you know, I think that that is just a really helpful way for for anyone who's listening to just sort of consider themselves. Is that there are lots of great therapists around who who will help you with a very open mind. Um, it doesn't sometimes doesn't even matter what letters are after their name. It's more about the place that they come from. Is it truly a non-judgmental place? Um, but you know, Matt, is it, can I have it for yeah. just for a second? Yeah. So, do you think it is right to name though, as we have these conversations, that while you and I show up in, the, in this work with that intention of being so very open and just meeting our people where they are, um, it's probably right to say there are, as as clients out there. There are many people who are going to walk, could walk into therapy offices and meet a certified sex therapist um, who, is, who does not believe sex addiction is a thing and doesn't know how or is unwilling to treat them for something that's sexually compulsive and, and hurting their lives, right? And on the flip side of that, there are people who are going to walk into the office of a CSAT and might, be, might experience some really sex-negative attitudes and, and behaviors, right? So that experience is out there. That's not what folks are going to get with us. But that is a real thing that happens to people. Right? Yeah, I mean, it, def- it definitely happens. And I, I mean, anyone who is is listening to this, and if, any, if you've had an experience like that where going to any therapist, they're not really, um, you know, really buying what you might be saying you want help with. They're maybe trying to steer you in a different direction. Um, or they are kind of being very judgy. Then, you know, I would say, you know, 100% leave that therapist and go go do some therapist shopping. Um, you know, that is just a, it's like a therapy 101, but that happens a lot. We certainly have to clean up a lot of messes um, from people being treated, you know, very poorly, unfortunately. And, you know, thank, thank goodness we do EMDR here so we can clean up those messes pretty quickly. But sex, like Matt has said a couple times, it's a, it's a very intimate issue. It's different for everybody. Everybody moves through this differently. And, and those differences should be heard and, and respected. And um, you know, Matt, when you were talking a second ago, what I re- really was remembering was how you got into this work in the first place. Yes, you had some interests in kink and poly and those kinds of things, which are, are great. I, I think you definitely will go on and get your sex therapy certification at some point, which is awesome. But, um, you know, you started out um, doing our partners groups, and what a great way to learn about is this an addiction or not from not even the addict, but one of the primary people affected. Tell us a little bit about, like, what that was like for you. Yeah, absolutely. So that was kind of my my entry point, like the rubber hitting the road in the room with clients was, was really, I first cut my teeth in this area working with partners and facilitating our partners' therapy group. And um, 
man, I could I could talk for hours about this. Like, just personally, what a gift it's been to walk with these folks um, in, in this space. But um, I've learned so much along the way. You know, one of the things that firmed up for me really, really quickly, um, you know, kind of in this conversation of, of addiction um, or not, is how so many of these stories sounded like what was going on in my house. You know, not that many years ago. Um, so in, in the, the stories that these people were, were sharing, um, you know, I started to, to, to just really relate and understand like, yeah, that's, that sounds a lot like uh, what I put my partner through, <laughs> you know, as, as in my couple should be being the addict and, and her being the partner. So um, yeah, it's, it's, it's really moving. It's, um, it's inspiring to see the, the resilience um, in, in these folks. It's, it's interesting to note how just um, how many facets of, of our lives get impacted by by this stuff and from the partner's point of view how isolating it is right like let's let's just all use my own personal example so so for me with with you know my alcohol use um, you know I, I might embarrass myself at, at a, a family function or with friends or something or folks might start to have whispers about oh it's, it's Matt drinking too much or something um, but it's, it's still kind of been so socially acceptable that it didn't raise too many eyebrows. A lot of people, sometimes people liked me more because I was drinking so much, right? Um, but from Melanie's point of view, my, my wife, like she, she, she's kind of a private person by nature, but she could talk to people about the stuff that was going on with us and with me. Um, what the people tell me in the partners group, among many other things, is just how isolating this experience is, right? Like there's just not, if you think about it, there, people have really strong opinions about this stuff, like we've been saying. So if, if let's, I'll use kind of heteronormative pronouns. So let's say in a, in a heterosexual coupleship, the male's the addict and the female's the partner. The females may, you know, if, if she even feels like sharing the situation with anybody, like, hey, I just found out that that my husband was, um, you know, seeing all these prostitutes and going to these massage parlors, and it's been compulsive and it's been for years, and he doesn't know how to stop. Um, if she even thinks that it might be safe to share that with a friend, she's real likely to get one of two pieces of feedback. You gotta get the heck out of there and leave that jerk, right? Which sounds understandable and, and, and easy, and, or easy to understand anyway. It's a, it's a really common and understandable response. Um, or, you know, she may get some pressure about, you gotta stay with your guy, you know, maybe because there's a religious influence or, or some other kind of social pressure, or, you know, we don't wanna impact the kids in a negative way, or, but, People are going to typically come with pretty strong opinions about what you have to do next. And the truth is, healing through this experience, this betrayal trauma, that, that really, the kind of pain that only an intimate partner can inflict on somebody, um, is, is a nuanced experience. It's individual for every person. It takes some time to get your feedback on you and realize really what you want to do, you know, after your world is turned upside down in this way. Um, and there are simply just a lack of safe places to process that experience. Um, it's a really private, personal, isolating thing that when you think about you know, the stigma and shame associated with talking about this stuff, um, that, that's the biggest thing that jumps out to me off the top about thinking about what we do in those partner spaces. It's just give people a safe place to be really honest with this stuff that maybe they don't know what they want to do. Right. Yeah, the, the shame associated with that is just, you know, it's just, it's it's huge. And so those groups are so helpful. But, you know, kind of circling back to our original topic of sex addiction and sex therapy, what's the difference? Let's just sort of finish up um, with a few examples of both, just a little bit more in depth. So we talked a little bit about for sex addiction, there's, you know, looking at porn, uh, 
masturbating frequently or compulsively, um, going to prostitutes, massage parlors, strip clubs. Um, so this can look really, really different for a lot of people or just having multiple affairs or even having affairs like with the same person off and on for a very long time. Um, you know, again, very many, very many ways to isolate and or remove yourself from your coupleship. And so there's a lot of ways that sex addiction can very clearly be seen as a pretty severe intimacy disorder. Um, you know, all addictions um, basically are, are relationship disorders anyway. But when you look at sex addiction, it's like, you know, relationship disorder on steroids, um, you know, times a thousand, like with a direct slap to your partner. So it's, it's really, really, um, really different in that way. Um, what else do you want to add about, about sex addiction, just sort of the ways that we see it present? Yeah. One thing that comes to mind is, is you know, sometimes we talk about the differences between like behavioral and substance addictions. Um, in this way, I, I see a really important similarity, which is like, we don't, when we're assessing for like substance use disorder with alcohol, um, we don't say there's like this many drinks a day that becomes problematic, right? Like the, the, the definition offered from Dr. Carnes, he, he identified like where, where um, is impacting somebody's um, like activities of daily living, right. their relationships, our productivity right. at work. Are we compulsively behaving in a way that's really outside of our own personal value system? Have we lost control over that? Right? Are our relationships being devastated by the behaviors? Um, so that's that's the stuff that we see that, that let us know. Okay, we're we're likely dealing with addiction here, and we need to, as far as our the therapeutic interventions go, we need to throw our our you know addiction model interventions at this stuff because if somebody has lost control over these behaviors, if they're acting outside of their own values, if they're creating a wave or a wake of devastation kind of in, in their path. That's how we know, right? And, and it can be really tough because part of the experience of addiction is denial. Yeah. Right? So somebody can, and you know, we, as, as sex positive people, we love high libidos. There's nothing wrong yeah. with, with, a, with an active sex life on a high libido, right? But if, if you look behind you and you see a person that you love is just devastated by your behaviors, if you can be really honest with yourself and say that devastating my partner, I, or I have to lie in order to feed my high libido, well, is lying outside of your value set? Are you hurting your, your partner or your kids? Or are you looking at this stuff at work that is super risky? That, you know, if you got caught, it might put you in serious trouble and yet you can't stop looking? I mean, these are kind of signs we look for to say, this is really getting in your way um, in a way that, that really sounds like it, it could be very risky and not, not super healthy for you. Yeah, and actually you bring up a really good point that's probably worth worth saying, and this is where it gets, I think, really sticky between sex addiction therapy and sex therapy, that um, I know you and I can both think of several clients that we've had and, and seen that um, have not tried to stop their problematic sexual behavior because they don't see a problem with it, because they don't see it really affecting their relationships or doing whatever else they might be doing in their life. Again, um, so it's a little bit tricky when we are trying to, quote, define sex addiction. When we're looking at process addictions, um, sometimes in some ways of diagnosing, we do see has the person tried to stop the behavior and they weren't able to. Um, I've kind of stopped doing that sometimes because I, I have several clients who, who really are in such deep, deeply entrenched denial 
that they don't think it's a problem, but yet their partner is saying, this is a huge problem. You are really not at all present with me or the kids. You're, you know, not, not even with us most of the time, but yet they have never really tried stopping the behavior. So that's where it can get sticky. If, if that same client went to a sex therapist, that sex therapist may say, oh, well, this behavior is fine. It's okay to porn out, you know, five hours out of the day, but you might just need to make sure that you're also scheduling in time for your wife and kids. So, you know, this is just, again, where it gets really tricky um, for clients, I think. And I think it's just so important that people end up finding the right therapist, no matter what that is for them. Um, it, it may not be therapists like us that are pretty, you know, sex positive and kind of open um, to letting people um, define what works and what doesn't work for them. But whatever that is, it's so important to find um, the right match for you. So that's kind of just something that I was thinking when you were talking. There's so many different ways to define sex addiction. Anything else you want to add about the sex addiction piece? I think that's that's, that's the big stuff. I okay. think if we're gonna kind of high level. Yes, yeah, yeah, for this particular. Feet, yeah. Okay, good. And so for sex therapy, again, um, this might be where one person um, may go to a sex therapist um, learning how to help with erectile dysfunction or low libido or maybe sex is painful and so they're trying to figure out where that comes from. Um, sex therapy and sex addiction therapists, you know, we all have to know who and when to refer to for medical issues because everyone needs to you know, be checked out in many different ways to see what, what else could be going on. But sex therapy, again, is so very good for helping couples um, who might be having problems with sex. Um, another way that we use sex therapy, specifically here in this office, um, it, I, I found after several years of doing this work that if I didn't have the sex therapy certification, I was really not fully able to help round out a client's work. Um, because after someone really is doing great in recovery for their sex addiction, sex or love addiction, then it's time to learn how to incorporate and learn how to have healthy sex, which likely that person has never done. And so sex therapy really comes in, it's, it's essential for that part of the work. Um, so I'm super happy we have two people here, myself and Jeff, who are sex therapists, and I'm sure we'll have more as time goes on, but it's definitely a way of taking someone who is learning how to be healthier, um, however they define that, in their own life, and, and learning how to really create genuine, authentic intimacy and being able to be in a healthy relationship. And so, you know, kind of the way I think about it is the sex addiction work is, is sort of the cleanup work. Um, it's the recovery work that really needs to happen before someone can get to the healthy sex place. And so, you know, sex therapy, I think, is fabulous and wonderful. Um, and it's, I think it's a necessary component of this work. Yeah, I think that makes a ton of sense. And if I didn't, you know, last episode, we kind of tried to talk about um, some differences and similarities between, you know, substance and process addictions. And if I didn't, I want to take this chance to name that. It's just such an important one. Mm-hmm. Like, I can go the rest of my life and lead a full and, and joyful life and never have another sip of alcohol. In fact, that's the plan for me. Yeah. Um, but human beings, we're, we're sexual beings, yeah. right? We, we, we're not designed to go the rest of our life without enjoying a, a, 
rich, you know, full sexual experience. So I love how you phrase that. That is, you know, the way to round out the word. If, if someone's experienced with, you know, with sex addiction has become a part of their story, we, we earn that recovery and we do that work. And then, you know, those last few chapters of, of the work is, okay, now that you're not hurting yourself and others with this behavior, how do we bring that sexuality and that healthy intimacy back into your world? super important and good point about um, the process addictions you just made about food also you know a lot of people have a problem with food and so but we can't not eat and so we have to learn how to incorporate these things in our lives food sex um, you know different different things very different than chemical addictions um, Okay, everybody, I think we've about covered it for our first, uh, in our second episode here about what is sex addiction, what is sex therapy, and how are they different. Um, If you have anything to add, any suggestions, any questions, please do email us at sexandthebullcity at bullcity.com. Matt and I would love to hear from you, and um, we hope that y'all tune in for our episode three coming up soon. Thanks so much. Have a great day.